Place your World Cup bets here, folks, because this is where the money is. Four o'clock today, Eastern Standard Time. Brazil and Croatia kick off the four-year World Cup every four years. The gala down there in Brazil. Finally, about time. I know. Be exciting. All this fanfare, or I guess negative press. Hopefully, they can turn it around. Who's your take? Have Who a good you, show. Who's going to win it? I'd like to see Germany win it, but Argentina looks tough. Argentina does look. Those good. are my two choices. That's uh, also an energy powerhouse. Yeah, I hate to go against the uh, the home favorites, but you know, Argentina. They got a decent fan base down there. Our coach doesn't think we're, we're even going to win, so he says <laughs> we're going to have to really, really play well to compete. So he we'll said see. it twice now, which is, blows my mind. You, t you think of firing him up with one, even though the first one seemed a little over the top, and then he came out saying it a second time. Sure, let's, uh, let's talk I digress. Energy. Let's yeah, get let's back get to back to energy. To energy. Um, kick off with our headlines. Uh, we found a nice little headline saying that M&A in the first quarter of this year is at a 10-year high. So you're seeing some ridiculous numbers here in the U.S. oil and gas sector. Um, a lot of companies selling off non-core assets is what I've been seeing. Sure. Um, and, and more to come apparently because Total and Shell both say that they're going to sell off at least $15 billion worth of assets this year. So obviously some more deal making to be done and then foreign buyers coming in snapping up mm -hmm. the biggest of the deals. They only accounted for about 25% of total deals in the first quarter but on a dollar value, about 42% of the deal. So what have you been saying? What deal kind of stuck out to you? It really wasn't what deal, it was the types of deals that we're looking at. If you look in the first quarter, yeah, it was the record amount of first quarter deals, but it wasn't the record amount by actual uh, cash, mm -hmm. the amount of money that was put into these deals. And if you look back a few years ago, you're seeing, you saw ExxonMobil go out and buy XTO Energy for 50 plus billion dollars. So you're not seeing a lot of big oil companies mm -hmm. coming into the shell plays. You're actually seeing them leave. So you're seeing a lot of smaller companies that might have over levered when they were purchasing assets, starting to sell off their non-core and really focus in the areas where they know where the oil is, the de-risked uh, acres that they have, and put deals together like that. So mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you're seeing smaller players really owning the shell plays. Well, big oil is kind of staying away. They're not purchasing like they were in the past, and they're still really focused overseas. Yeah, Exxon got burned so far on that deal. It was yet to be seen if they can actually turn it into that $50 billion venture that they, that they thought they were getting. Um, my guess is they will eventually, but right now uh, it hasn't proved as fruitful. And turning to our, new head, our newest headline uh, from Bloomberg, sticking with M&A, Aubrey McClendon, one of our favorite Wildcatters, back in the business with American Energy, and he's spent about four and a quarter billion dollars so far in West Virginia, Ohio, and Texas. Regardless of what you think of this guy as a manager, Joel, he knows energy, he knows shale, and he's going right back to the bread and butter plays that he was with at Chesapeake. He's not nearly the same size yet. I don't know if he will ever get to be the same size as Chesapeake with his new venture, but um, he's focused on, on the Utica, which was his baby when he left Chesapeake. Yep. He's also got some assets now in the Permian Basin, where Pioneer says uh, it could hold about 75 billion barrels of oil uh, still left in the ground untapped as of yet. So they've been seeing great results down there, and now Aubrey McClendon wants to get into the mix. Do uh, you like his chances? Uh, you know, I, I, I think he knows what he's doing. Obviously, he's one of the best in the business. I, it's just how he gets his business done. And if you look at Chesapeake, I mean, we talked about ExxonMobil buying XTO Energy. Mm -hmm. Chesapeake wanted to buy them, too. And if you look at what he, him and Tom Ward, when they started Chesapeake, and, they, and Shell Play started becoming economically, uh, economic to tap, mm -hmm. they wanted every piece of land. <laughs> they were, all they, were the they, they were bidding, outbidding, and they were paying top dollar for every piece that they could get. If they saw a big company mm -hmm. go into an area that they weren't in already, 
they would send out their landmen and lock up a lot of deals. And what that did is that boosted their their debt levels. I mean, right before uh, Audrey McClendon actually got deceded from Chesapeake, mm-hmm. th- their debt was 128 times their cash levels. I mean, it was just so much debt, and that's why Tom Ward really left Chesapeake originally. Is yeah. He was afraid of the amount of debt. And, you know, American Energy Partners, they're in great assets. Ches- or, uh, Audrey knows what he's doing, but he's going to be tapping the debt market to get into these plays and start drilling. You know, it takes a little while, and it yeah. takes a lot of money to drill these wells and really de-risk the acreage. And if you're not uh, returning a lot of cash flow, you can get into that same situation. So I would be curious to see if he expands at the rate that he did with Chesapeake. Uh, right now he's in great plays, but can he actually start making the cash flow is the big question. And the Utica is definitely very specific on location, whether you're in liquids or the dry natural gas. And hopefully he's got the wherewithal to know where he's at. And the Permian Basin is uh, one of the older basins in the U.S., but it's just now coming back online which with the unconventional drilling. Um, I'm not going to bet against this guy, but uh, no. I'm never going to invest with him after seeing what he did at Chesapeake. Um, great success. I think it was a lot to do with bad timing with the, with the moves that he I made think, at Chesapeake. I so. But So I think he gets a bad rap for, for the, the financial struggles that company went through, but it's doing a lot better now that he's gone, whether or not the, uh, the reason being that he's gone or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just a, a rough circumstance for him, I think. Absolutely. I mean, it is a timing issue. And, you know, it's like T. Boone Pickens and Wind. He was really bullish on Wind. He was just a little bit too early, mm-hmm. and the economics weren't there. You know, Audrey obviously knows what he's doing. But, again, it, it's, it's when he was running his company, he was also trading commodities <laughs> on the side. He, he has a lot going on, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's focused really on the company. He wants to really do a lot and almost sometimes do too much. So I'm kind of... Like like you said, I don't think I could invest in a company that he is actually running, mm-hmm. but I would never bet against him because he can win, and he yeah, is one of the better guys in the, the, the area. Some people yeah. in the know believe in him. He's got some ex-Exxon executives, ex-Exxon executives. Yeah, Lee Raymond. Uh, yeah, uh, investing in it. So. And, and investing in that company. It's exciting well. to watch. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more in the future. Our final headline comes from the Wall Street Journal. That has to do with Canada. The Canadian finance minister says new energy markets crucial for the economy. Uh, this is an economy that's pretty dependent on natural resources. If, oh, not, if it's not mining for metals, it's oil and natural gas. Unfortunately for them, the U.S. buys pretty much all the oil and natural gas they export, if not all of it. So they're looking to diversify, and they can't do that without pipelines. And Enbridge's Northern Gateway is one of those first pipelines that could come online if it's approved in the next week or so yeah. to get that Alberta crude oil out to the Pacific Coast where they know there's hungry Asian investors. And unlike us, they can export that oil. Yeah, it would be Stephen Harbour supposed to make a decision here. And unlike Obama, maybe he actually will make <laughs> He's a decision. not going to drag his feet, you don't yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, Canada and Alberta, you mentioned yeah. how much GDP is driven from the, the amount of oil and a lot of their resources. Alberta is really tied to the oil sands. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Keystone XL could really help them out. So they need to start diversifying. You know, it's even saying to the United States, if you're not going to help us out on build out the Keystone XL, we have to find new markets. Because Western Canadian Select is trading around $82 a barrel. And WTI, that's, you know, close to $18 or so cheaper than the WTI price. So they want to start accessing Mm -hmm. those. And they've had issues trying to get it over to the West Coast to start moving it over to the Asian markets. So, you know, I think this is a huge priority for them. Um, they also tried moving to the East Coast and use some of the refining capacity over there and then sell some of the actual refined uh, product. But th- th- I think this is a big, big thing for not only uh, pipelines in Canada, but also a lot of the oil sand producers. Mm-hmm. They want that extra margin. And 
this could really help the economy in Canada. So I think uh, we'll see pretty soon here what Stephen Harper does with uh, the, the Enbridge, mm -hmm. and then if they can actually expand some more pipelines that way, will be a way to really pressure the United States, I think, into making a decision on the Keystone. Yeah, you mentioned uh, this, the oil sands producers. Suncor is really the only one that gets Brent prices for the majority of his crude. So there's some big name companies there that have just been biding their time, hoping the government decides to finally back their business. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd be surprised if, if one of these uh, east to west pipelines doesn't get approved here in Canada in the near in the near future. Yeah, I think I think this year we'll start seeing some yeah. actual pipelines being uh, actually passing and start the plans actually start being built. So mm -hmm. it's a, be an interesting time and really a good time for investors to start looking at some of those oil sand companies because they are trading at a steep discount. If they can get that extra uh, price for that oil that they're producing, they could think they could be great investments. All right, I think it's time for a stock quiz. I think it's time to the stop for the stock quiz. Uh, we got some good stuff. I will start off and ask you a question. Um, what I'm going, you know, we talk a lot about fracking and a lot of there's a lot of misunderstanding around the term. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pose a question to you and ask you, what decade did hydraulic fracturing actually start in the United States? So was it 1940, 1950s, 1970s, or was it more recently in the 1990s, the first decade? It's been around a lot longer than people think, so I'm going to write off, eliminate C and D, the 70s and the 90s for our listeners and viewers. Um, I'm pretty sure we covered it earlier this year, the 65th anniversary, and we interviewed Halliburton's chief operating officer. So uh, only a one-year difference. I think it was 19, we make it 1949 then, so yeah. the 40s. It was the 40s. That is that right is, on the edge there. That is <laughs> leading very edge of the 40s. That's very correct. Yeah, and, you know, like we mentioned, people are always talking about fracking and a lot of worries around fracking. But the whole energy expansion and the, the revolution that we're seeing right now isn't because of fracking. We've been doing it for a long time. Right. It's finally getting economically viable fracking going down, and then also horizontally mm -hmm. drilling where you can tap a lot of the shell resources. So it's really the combination of finally fracking and doing horizontal drilling. We've been doing horizontal drilling also for a lot of years, right. but you've never been able to combine them in an economical fashion. And that's what we saw in the 2000, mid-2000s, and that's why we have so much natural gas and oil production right now. So, you know, not new technology. It's just finally getting better technology around these, these uh, processes mm -hmm. that we've had for a while. I think it's been a nice little... Uh educational share between a lot of the companies. They finally decided to work together in a lot of regards, which is how these technologies have kind of melded together and, mm -hmm. and been producing the levels of oil that we've seen. Um, now approaching uh, an eventual record, hopefully, if we can if we can break it break out of the 70s, um, the, the levels that we saw in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Halliburton and Dow Chemical, we talked to both of those companies in Houston at the OTC in early May. They're working on the chemical side of business, also not to do with the, the way that the drilling is taking place, but the, the fluids that are used to frack and, and the levels of viscosity that you're able to see mm -hmm. can really drive oil and natural gas out of the ground at rates that were previously unattainable. So something that America has been doing very well and something that I think um, we saw a lot of the foreign investors buying into the U.S. to maybe gain technology. a little bit of that knowledge. Yeah, they, I don't think they're in it for the revenue because they were some small deals, but um, they definitely want that technology and, and mm -hmm. that know-how. So that's interesting to, to see how long it has been here and people are just now really starting to fight against it. So interesting. Uh, my stock quiz question, sticking along the same lines as last, last week with Russia, um, I'm going to ask you, um, where does it fall in line of the amount of oil imports that we do uh, when you look at other countries? Uh, where do you think it ranks? I have you uh, two, 
four, five, and, and eight so in what, terms of how much oil we import from, from Russia, Russia versus other countries. Where does it rank? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. I know Canada is probably number one on that list. It's number one by, uh, by, a, quite, by a quite a wide a margin, yeah. Uh, so I would, I would, I'm going to actually go with, uh, I'm going to go with C there. I'm going to go with the fifth. Fifth largest. Yep, uh, that's exactly right. When you rank it uh, with crude oil and petroleum products, it's fifth. When you rank it without petroleum products, it doesn't even make the rankings. We don't import really? any oil, only petroleum products from Russia. So I found that to be surprising that when I was looking at the Especially rankings. When we were exporting so much petroleum. Exactly. Products. Yeah, make it make you wonder why we don't just keep it inside of our own borders. But um, yeah, Canada's number one, followed by Saudi Arabia, um, and then Mexico, and then Venezuela, and then Russia. And that's if you include crude oil and petroleum products. I don't products. think I would have put Venezuela in them, that top five. Yeah, it, it just barely edges out, uh, or Mexico just barely edges it out uh, as far as what we did in March. So the latest numbers from the EIA in March show Canada, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Venezuela, and Russia. Yeah, that's very surprising, especially when you look at how Some much... Some controversial companies in, or countries yeah. in there. Oh, absolutely. And we're exporting, we're exporting a million barrels a day of, of just <laughs> diesel. That's not yeah. even including the gasoline. So I wonder why we're actually bringing in foreign fuel, and that goes against, you know, like a, a Pickens plan where he wants to keep all the, the fuels domestic, not having to actually import. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting, and I'm, I'm actually surprised uh, Russia is that high up on that one. Yeah, I was just tooling around the numbers and, and found that and it, it caught my Good eye. Question. So there we go. Good question. So we both hit it that time. First, right. first week that we All both right. nailed it. You gave me We're a toss up. Today. I appreciate it. We're sharp today. Let's, uh, let's move over to the tweets. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. Um, I think the first tweet is from the Oil and Gas Journal. And uh, basically what they're looking at is 2013 was really the year for activist investors to mm -hmm. really come back and and make a second showing in the energy uh, industry. And you know, in the 80s and 90s, you saw a lot of corporate raiders come in, uh, buying a lot of oil companies because they were finding that the oil in place was actually cheaper than buying an oil company and drilling for it. So mm -hmm. you saw a lot of that. But you know, what we're seeing now, uh, last year we saw a lot of activists investing. You know, Chesapeake yep. and Sandridge both had their CEO and, board and chairmen's removed. Uh, Hess. Although that management Big shake team, ups there. Yeah, they, they removed Tess, the actual, mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the founders of the company, moved him off the board. He's still the CEO, and then they split up their company. So they went away from that integrated approach. And really what you're seeing activist investors do last year was they looked at companies that either had two things. They looked at companies that had way too much debt. If you looked at some of their debt to EBITDA figures, it was over 45%. They were attacking those companies because they figured they could sell off some non-core assets. And then they're also looking at companies that were holding on to too much cash. Energy companies like to hold cash because it is a cyclical business mm -hmm. and you want that cash to ride you through a lot of these cycles. But if you're sitting on too much cash and you're not deploying it, activist investors also saw that and said, yeah, maybe we can start uh, pulling some of that cash and, yeah. and either buying back shares or uh, increasing the dividend. You know, so you saw a lot of that, and uh, Carl Icahn. Yeah, he popped really, up he with Transocean. Really there. Yeah, yeah, Transocean uh, investors fought back a little bit. He wanted a much higher dividend than he actually got, but he did get them to reinstitute, reinstitute the dividend, and it's a competitive yield in the offshore space. So uh, one thing that I did notice is a lot of successful activism. You looked at, you mentioned Hess, a much better place than it was, at least financially. Um, yet to be seen how long, how well that works in the long term, but right away they sold off um, the downstream business mm -hmm. and some of the other non-core assets, doing very well. Chesapeake the same way, really treating shareholders well over the last year, since a year or so since um, 
Aubrey was ousted and the new the new board and the new CEO came online. So um, Apache as well got rid of some of its Egyptian assets mm -hmm. and other international assets refocusing in the United States. We talked about the Permian earlier. Apache knows the Permian and they're pouring a lot of money into it now that they're not wasting a lot of it in Egypt where um, they weren't really seeing the production. So I saw a lot of successful uh, activist investing raids, not raids, but you know, they got in there and mixed things up and I, uh, I think you'll see it continue. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it because they're actually going and really being proponents for shareholders because they are shareholders. So they're going for the people that own the company, the shareholders. Right. So I think that's a great move. They're trying to get the most out of those companies. In the past, you saw some some hostile takeovers where you would take a company and split it up and sell it because the parts were worth more than the whole. Right. I think that's destructive because you're losing a lot of value in companies over the long term and then you're also losing a lot of jobs. But that's not the case anymore. They're not making those big shakeups. They're just making sure the companies are staying focused and mm -hmm. employing their cash and actually fighting for shareholders. Yeah. So I, I really like the way that they're they're moving. And I've, I've been a big fan and a lot of these companies, investors in these companies are very happy. Yeah, they certainly are. So we'll see if it keeps rolling. I guess we'll go to the next tweet. Uh, pretty interesting here. Uh, your home state, uh, Washington and Seattle, just boosted the minimum wage, but it still doesn't compete with Walmart's in the Bakken, apparently. No, uh, it's no, it pretty not. incredible uh, wages here, over $17 an hour in the Walmart, thanks to Mark underscore J underscore Perry on Twitter. Not quite sure who you are, but interesting little tweet here and uh, find it fascinating because you didn't really see much of anything in the Williston Basin area prior to uh, Harold Hamm and Continental really getting in there mm -hmm. and producing now um, over a million barrels a day, not just them, but the area. So um, it's something that we haven't seen until this year. And uh, it even goes so far as to I saw a trailer for a reality TV show <laughs> following around four or five sisters in the Bakken at their various jobs of like a bartender and a pipeline <laughs> driver and any, any uh, various other jobs. Um, I don't know if it made it to the tube, but there's a trailer made, which well, it, blew my mind. It is a wild country out there. I mean, get this, you can get a job at McDonald's and get a signing bonus. You can <laughs> oh get a signing God. bonus almost as high as yeah. you're seeing some major or some minor league uh, uh, draft picks <laughs> make. So you, it's just crazy, and, and one of the reasons you're seeing they really need so much so much help is there's so many people in the oil fields, but unlike traditional oil fields, these oil fields deplete fast, so you're always moving. Mm -hmm. So this group of people aren't sitting in the same area where you can have a lot of employment and really build out shelters and homes right. and really build out communities. So they keep shifting, so you're always needing new employees, and that's why you can pay your Walmart employees $20 an hour. And you look at the the amount of money that the oil and gas companies are paying their employees mm -hmm. for wages and Walmart has to compete because nobody wants to go work at Walmart for yeah. 10 bucks an hour when they can go make a ton of money out in the fields. It might be a much harder job, Absolutely. but the money's there and you can get in and get out quick. It's tough work and without a college degree, I mean, you can start yeah. off making $100,000 a year. Which is crazy, but it's true and it's not just in the Bakken and Eagle Ford and all those regions in Texas, especially offshore as well, spending a lot of time out on a rig. You can make some decent money and I saw a statistic, um, whether or not I believed it or not, I could see it being possible. If you look at the job growth since the recession, most industries haven't crept back up to where they once were. Mm -hmm. So if you took out oil and gas employment, we'd be in a very, very worse picture than we are right now as far as employment's concerned. So thankfully this industry is paying high wages and creating a lot of jobs. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, we got one more tweet. I one believe. more tweet. This is a pretty funny tweet from uh, uh, an account that I follow, Bored Elon Musk. Bored Elon Just Musk. Just ridiculous that's, ideas coming out of the, that, the head of what would be, I don't think he has time to be bored, but if he was, that's a scary this is thought. the kind of stuff that would be coming out. And it's uh, a World Cup stadium barge that can float to any location, including international bribery-friendly waters. 
talking uh, a little bit about Qatar there, but the World Cup is here, and do we want to kind of relate that back to energy a little bit? I think this tweet's pretty funny, but it got me thinking about there's a lot of countries playing in the World Cup mm -hmm. that are big energy powerhouses, and we, we isolated six, right? We've got... Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've got Russia, the U.S., Argentina, Iran, uh, Mexico, and Brazil. Yeah, so I, I think... Uh, all, it's pretty impressive. All, yeah, all four of those, yeah. or all six of those are, are very large yeah. energy producers. Um, so if I had to rank these on the best, I would... Uh, you know, obviously, I'm going to go with the United States, <laughs> yeah, and that's right pretty obvious. But the reason I'm doing that is, you know, we're second in oil production right now. We're first in natural gas production. We don't have the most reserves in either of those. We're towards the top, but we're mm -hmm. not the best. But the one thing that the United States does have is mineral rights by actual people that own right. the land. The governments don't own the mineral rights. What that means is you can actually tap your uh, the, the oil and gas underneath you, mm -hmm. because everybody has everybody involved has royalty ownership or ownership of some type. Other countries don't have that, so if you're having a government force that upon you, I don't think you're going to be as successful. So that's why I have the United States. You know, I like take that, Klinsman. I also I also like Mexico because right now it's the ninth largest, but they're moving up. Uh, they're opening up their borders for a lot of investment from foreign companies mm -hmm. to come in. I think that that's going to be huge out. for them. I think. Yeah, I mean, look at what stimulation, re-stimulating wells has done for us. Mm -hmm. Mexico is in that same boat, and you know, and then I have to You're go with. Three? I'm going to go with Russia for number three. Okay. It's just such a powerhouse, and they have just the massive amount of land, so many resources that they're sitting on. That deal yeah. with China just shows you what they're capable. Yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, they they can really tie into so many other countries and really dominate that field. I, there's a lot of issues with them, but as far as being an energy powerhouse, mm -hmm. they're definitely in the top three. Yeah, so I agree with uh, with your rankings quite favorably. Um, if I'm looking at the current state of affairs, U.S. clear number one. But if I'm going to go with the future um, possibilities, so if I'm looking at the 2018 World Cup, I think Argentina, um, they've got tremendous shale resources down there. A little bit shaky uh, with when you talk about bringing in outside uh, companies. They mm -hmm. they kind of gave it to uh, uh, Repsol over there in Spain, or yeah, YPF mm -hmm. kind of gave it to them over there, and uh, still kind of working things out in, in the international courts. But Chevron believes that they, they can make things happen, and they're over there in the Vaca Muerta field. So um, they would be num my number one. But if I'm looking at the current present day energy, your top three. Uh, fit well, the bill. World Cup starts today, so we got to go we'll with what's here today. I guess maybe Brazil's on the outs. Yeah, maybe the 2018 World Cup, Argentina will be number one. Yeah, and then if you look at the government of Brazil, they can get their hands out of there. Maybe Petrobras can finally put some work offshore and, and put them in the top three as far as future uh, energy production Absolutely. capability is concerned. So we'll see. Absolutely. Four o'clock today, Brazil kicks off with Croatia. Um, I know that's what I'm going to be doing here. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And hopefully I'll be reading some emails from, from the listeners true, asking yeah. us uh, some energy questions that yeah. we'll answer on the show. Uh, you can either uh, tweet us at TMF Energy yep. or you can send an email to energy at fool.com. We'd love to get these and answer any of your questions. Yeah, we'll blast it out. For Joel and the Motley Fool, I'm Taylor Markerman. Fool on.